Hello and welcome to Sustainable Compliance. This live show is where compliance professionals get together weekly to learn, share and grow. So just a few house rules before we get started. Sustainable Compliance Live will be held weekly on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. CEST. But uh, next week is a little different where we'll be uh, live on Wednesday at 3 p.m. CEST. We'll be sending out an email after the show and uh, once per week with follow-ups from the latest event and the theme for the up upcoming one. You're welcome to turn on your camera. We love, of course, to see who we're speaking to and it gives a more community feel, we, we feel, so you're welcome to do that. We will be recording uh, the first part of the show um, to be shared on our podcasts. Um, so it's only sound, so don't worry about uh, hair <laughs> and stuff like that, like me. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's a good idea to be be here. Of course, we'll be showing slides and, and showing things sometimes. So it's, uh, it's, it's good to show up so you can see what's on the uh, screen as well. Um, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate, but write them in the chat and we'll try to get through them um, as we go along. Uh, we have a few breaks for questions where we'll take them up. Um, and you're, um, we, we assume that you want to ask the question uh, live, unless you write explicitly that we should um, um, read your question. Um, so if you don't want to be on the air, just uh, write it in the chat as well. So, today's theme. In our last episode, we discussed the first of what we see as the five trends in sustainable compliance, which we call from centralized authority to company-wide collaboration. Today, uh, we'll take a look at the next trend. Jakob. Yeah. And Could you... Just set the scene for us here, please. I can. Thank so you. we are on a mission to go through the, what I call the five trends of sustainable compliance. Um, and if, if you're not familiar with what sustainable compliance is, um, there is, um, there's a, a, there's a, a, a podcast with, uh, with that theme and you can just go back and um, and listen uh, to it just briefly. Um, I'm I'm seeing or we're seeing at the moment uh, a turn in compliance from from compliance being a regulatory function, very much focused on whether or not things are legal, very focused on the uh, the law aspect, very focused on trying to please the data protection authorities or the courts. Um, but what we're seeing now is a move away from that and into something broader, which 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 I call sustainable compliance, which is about making good, sound decisions uh, on collecting, storing, and using data. So it's broader. It's much more about collaboration, communication, being part of strategy, and and so on and so forth. It's just a brief introduction uh, to that. There is a there's a whole episode in in the podcast on uh, on just that. 
But in this respect, I I see five trends, and and I've put them here. And today we're looking at the second one, which which is basically that we're seeing compliance departments going from tick the box compliance to more balanced decision making to being part of balanced decision making within their um, companies and, and organizations. And just to just give you an idea of what I'm thinking about when I say tick the box compliance, I will take you back to 2018 and Europe <laughs> because then all of us privacy and data protection people in Europe, we were implementing the general data protection regulation, the GDPR in, in, um, in Europe. And this is my playbook from back then. So basically, basically, what I was doing, I was I was being I was being put in charge of implementing um, the GDPR together with um, a team of mine, and what we did was basically we started calculating four percent of our company's global revenue, and the reason why we did that was that in the GDPR it says that fines can be up to four percent of global uh, revenue of of your of your business so basically we were calculating the risk the the maximum risk of the fine and then I took that calculation it was quite a huge number because we were we were a not a not a big company but our our revenues were high and I took that number to uh, to my board of um, of directors to 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 management, and I told them, "Okay, this is what could happen." I, I basically threatened management with those four percent of global revenues, all to get them to sign off on me having some resources to actually do the GDPR implementation. Then I took the uh, regulation itself and some other texts and I was basically reading through them um, because what the board said was okay so you're you're telling us that we could be fined this please make sure that we do the minimum we have to do not to get those fines so basically I was reading through the GDPR and every time there was something that we needed to do that could be one of the things that you need to do in, is, is, is making a register of processing uh, of, of processing activities. You have to uh, set legal bases on them. You have to do risk assessments. Maybe you have to have a, a data protection um, or sort sort sorry data processor agreement with uh, with your data processors. And basically, I put all of that into a massive spreadsheet. I was I was doing this with with two other. Um, uh, colleagues and, and and they will remember that this spreadsheet just grew and grew. And when we had the spreadsheet, or actually before we had the spreadsheet, because it was constantly growing, but then we just we tried to as quickly as possible tick the boxes of those minimum requirements, uh, minimum requirements as to not being uh, fined. 
the aim was basically to, as I, as I say here in the slide, we wanted to just feel good for a moment and then get back to our to real work. And that was basically what we were doing at the time. And so and, and that's what I think about when I say um, tick the box compliance. So it's basically trying to, to meet minimum requirements, making sure that things are legal. And, and that's, I think, what a lot of us did um, in, in, in Europe at the time. I know I am guilty of, of being a tick-the-box compliance um, type. However, I think things are moving at the moment. I really do think that tick-the-box compliance is not what we should be doing, and, and I'll just go through why I, I think that is. First of all, the, the thing about uh, calculating the fines of 4%. The thing is that for most companies, for most organizations, the risk of actually being discovered, the risk of actually being in the, uh, in the headlights of the data protection authorities or the courts is very, very low. So the risk of discovery is low, which means that to many companies, they, they will never they will never have any problems with uh, with the data protection authorities anyway, and moreover, the level of fines in most European countries have never reached that um, level. So if we're just looking at sort of the cost benefit analysis of doing compliance and and holding it up to the fines, I don't think it's a very good argument. Um, in, in many organizations to actually do compliance if the only thing you want to do is, is lower your risk of being uh, fined. Moreover, I don't think management buy-in should be based on the fear of fines. Um, and there's two reasons for that. First of all, if that's the, if that's the basis of the buy-in, I think most organization, most managements. Now, I'm not in the company that I was when I threatened with the fines, but if I were, they could very possibly go to me and say, hey, Jacob, you threatened with fines. Please let us know. Did anybody ever, did anyone ever get those fines? What is the, can we get that fine? And, and then we would, we would actually be in a situation in which they could very potentially say, okay, then let's abort the uh, this big program. That's one. That's that's one reason for not doing it. The other one is that actually data protection and and, and privacy is very much um, not an not a. It's not the fines that should be front and center. There are risks associated with not being um, not doing data protection well there is uh, opportunities if you do it well. So buy-in from management should really be based on that. So it should be based on, on, the, on risks and, and, and opportunities. Moreover, I think legal requirements are important. So going through them and making sure that what we do is legal, that is important. However, 
other things are important as well when it comes to uh, compliance. We should sort of broaden the scope of compliance so that we are also taking into account the the um, demands and wishes of our customers and colleagues and local communities and other stakeholders that we have. We shouldn't only be looking at um, the law to, to make good um, compliance. Moreover, I was doing spreadsheets, and spreadsheets are good for many things, I'm told, <laughs> but they proved less optimal for what we were do what we're doing in in privacy compliance because what we really need is an overview of what kind of systems we have the vendors we have the data processing um, activities that we have and that's not that's not what Excel and, and, and spreadsheets are, are great for. We really need some structured databases so that we can we can get an overview of our compliance uh, of our compliance data, so to speak, which are basically systems and vendors and and um, and processing activities. So I think really that tick the box compliance is dying and that we should we shouldn't lament um, that. We should replace it with, with something else. We should replace it with making good decisions on data compliance, taking both value creation and, and public expectations into account. Um, I was also talking about feeling good about a job well done. That was a part of of it all, and I think we should be feeling good, but we shouldn't be feeling good when we are compliant because it's because compliance is not a state. We should be feeling good about the process of um, compliance, and and then finally, um, I think we should just make sure to understand that that compliance is real work and not something we need to to tick boxes off in order to get on to something real. Data protection and privacy can lead to less risk for the business and it can lead to uh, more opportunities uh, for the business as well. Does that make sense, Benjamin? Yeah, I mean, I think it... Uh, well, we, we've <laughs> talked about this uh, not for the first time today, but I, I think it does. Now, I was cu curious uh, also what what you mean what, when you say value creation, because we, we've talked about it a few times. Yep. But um, could, could you elaborate a bit on that? I, I think there are many listeners that would be curious to hear what, what, yeah, what you mean there. Yeah, and let's take an example really on what balanced decision-making looks like and, and and because that's sort of what we're going towards. So we're leaving tick the box compliance and going towards balanced decision making. And and just let's let's take an example. Marketing wants to implement a new system. It does wonders to something, but it has to do with personal information, right? Um if if we have the regulatory compliance mindset, our role will be to sort of dot the legal I's and cross the legal T's. So it's it's where it's where marketing says, now we've already made a decision, let's run it by compliance to make sure it's legal. That's basically what regulatory compliance does. 
if we're looking at it from a sustainable compliance perspective, our role is different. It's our role then is to sort of participate in creating a great foundation for the decision. So we should be part of the entire decision making. And there's three things that we should that we should balance really. Um, and I've put them here. It's value creation, it's regulatory demands, and it's public expectation. So on value creation, I think that one of our central roles as compliance people is challenging the business plans from a privacy compliance standpoint. We should make sure that the risks and opportunities of data protection and privacy and information security is taking into account when we're doing a business plan. There was somebody saying, I would just say that you're lucky if your marketing is actually running it by you. Yes. <laughs> that was the ding. I, I think yeah. you might be right, but um, let's, let's, let's go with that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, anyway, um, I think we should challenge the business side of it. And and one of the um, one of the things that I'll will take an example here as well. This is what what you see here is a pay or consent wall from uh, and it's from Washington Post, right? Um, it's basically it's basically um, sort of a wall that says you can either. Um, buy a subscription to read our articles, or you can consent to us tracking you to uh, read our articles. Um, and this can be set up in, in many ways. In this case, it's been set up so that, that you can read some articles for free if you every month if you consent, and, and you can pay um, an amount of money to, um, to have to have access um, to uh, to the site. Whenever a company is doing something like this, I think it's the um, it's the role of compliance to make sure that we challenge sort of the that we challenge the expectations behind these um, these um, uh, business plans. So we should we should be the ones saying, does this make sense? I mean. We should say, is, is the cookie consent worth it? So is it actually bringing in value to the business that we have this option? Because if, if it's not, if, if we are not able to actually make money selling people's information, <laughs> then it, from a value creation point, it doesn't make sense. Then we might as well just have the, the ads run free, so to, so to, so to speak, and, and without tracking people. So, so, and and we should also challenge how much is a consent worth and so on and so forth. So I think in, in, in any respect, we should, from a privacy standpoint, we should challenge the um, business case. Was that f fairly clear? I think, well, it makes sense <laughs> for me. And, and please write in the chat if it doesn't. I love the comment about marketing because... <laughs> Your marketing. <laughs> yeah. But we, we do try. So um, 
But that's also new. Uh, beforehand, in, in, in previous uh, roles and jobs and companies, uh, it was definitely an afterthought. So um, it's it's refreshing to hear and experience uh, another way of doing it. Yeah. What I'm, of course, also curious about is this example that you brought here. Mm. What are your thoughts on on, on, on the, the Washington Post style? On the example itself? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's actually a good question because um, I've been interviewing various people over the years on whether or not micro-targeting is worth it. Because basically what, what um, the Washington Post is saying here is that if you give consent, it has worth to them. In, in, right. And it has the similar kind of worth as if you were subscribing, right? So it's, it's free if you're not, if, but if you pay money, we won't track you. So basically what they're saying is that it has some sort of, it, it's worth something. And I'm not, I'm not a marketing expert, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> not, not a performance marketing expert. But I've, I've heard people both going, it's not really worth anything. You might as well just use contextual advertising. So, so basically, that's advertising. If, if you're looking at sports, the sports pages of the Washington Post, you'll get sports ads, right? Or ads for beer, <laughs> probably. Um, and mm -hmm. if you're looking at... Uh, a, a, cultural sites, you'll get uh, ads for a ballet show, right? So that's, that's contextual ads. You don't really need to know anything about people besides the fact that what, that, that what they're reading. So this is basically what I think we should challenge. So is it, is it, does it actually make us money that we are tracking people? Does it actually make money to the Washington Post that they're tracking people? Because if it isn't, there, there can be other reasons for not tracking, but if it's not even making us any money, if the business case is not there, I'm pretty sure that then we shouldn't do it because tracking people and, and gathering their personal information, it has some sort of impact on them. So, so that's, that's just to, to, to make sure I... Yeah, I'm, I'm expanding on it. Um, so, so that's what I think we should challenge. Every time somebody comes up with something nice to do, we should challenge whether or not it actually provides any value. There's also a, a comment from uh, one of our, our listeners. The thing is that so me, if anyone would ask me, per, me personally, I would say that um, clients are more and more aware, of course, about their rights and about data protection. And I would say if I come up to this page, I would just leave it immediately. So this would be a huge deal breaker for me. So uh, for me, it's not worth it that you go this way. So what would you get from it? In the end, um, a lot of customers will would be just turned off, right? And they would not participate in this. And I think this is more and more prominent now. Um, so when you mentioned waging in, it's worth it. Uh, personal opinion, no. Uh, especially if I look from my point of view and from, yeah, I think that people understand more and more about what's being done with their data and so on. But um, in the... Um, 
what I've pasted is the link to the Washington Post article. Mm. And it's funny because you are just presenting as something for Washington Post. <laughs> and here they're also commenting about like the opportunities to trade or sell your personal data and how like different companies like Netflix are offering you different <laughs> vouchers if you sign up for this and that. Yeah. And then, you know, isn't it a, a bit like ironic <laughs> that they are also doing exactly that? Yeah. So then just another point that I would say the Washington Post, like it sounds like a good name in general, right? Mm. Or something you should read. Uh, but in the end, I think they're going against their own um, values in this case, right? And, and you're making such, such a good point here, I think, because some of the things you say are really in the realm of what we do in compliance. So basically, I think a lot of business people, they wouldn't be thinking about people leaving the website before even when, when presented with this, because that, I mean, that's a, that's a risk. It's a, it's something that decreases the value of, of being the Washington Post if, if people are just leaving and, and, and if they're not. So, so, so I, I think you might be, I think you might be right. Even if we made a business case, it might be that, that this is not even a good it's not even a good business case, and that's what I mean when I say that we sh we should challenge um, we should challenge this from a data protection uh, perspective because I don't think necessarily that that the business people making the business case here are even aware of of uh, some of these things. What is the value of, of 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 our readers not really trusting us with their with their data, for instance? I love the idea also about challenging um, uh, both from the uh, compliance point of view, but also from the business point of view. And if there's one thing that I've learned and experienced from working in large companies, it's not always that those who produce what it is the company produces and marketing, they, uh, they always mm. speak uh, same language or are online. So, so kind of bringing those uh, worlds together is such an important uh, task in my mind. I think it is. And the second thing when, when, when we've challenged the, uh, is this really creating any value? <laughs> is this, um, then, then I, we should obviously also um, make a, make a, a sorry, I'm, uh, just uh, just doing something here. So we should make a legal investigation um, into what the what what are the legal uh, issues here. Most compliance professionals will already know this. This is basically what is what is sort of coming from from regulatory compliance. So 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 we should obviously also uh, look into the um, regulations. And the third part, in in my point of view is that I think we as compliance people and as compliance functions should also look to more than just the law. And I, I, I talk about uncovering the demands of our customers and other stakeholders. So in, in, in the case of, of the Washington Post, basically I think it's the role of compliance to reach out to potential um, to potential readers and talk to them about how they feel about what is happening here. 
And I think we should do that with all our, or the most important of our um, data protection and privacy uh, practices. Because to there is a there is a sort of a paradox. A privacy researchers talk about a, par, a privacy paradox. We 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 con, we are concerned about our privacy, but still we we are too tired and too busy, and then we just consent to whatever. And I I really want to read the I really want to read the article, so I, I just go yeah please uh, track track me so that I can. So I can read this article for free. We're even, with the Washington Post here, are even making it easier to read the articles for free because if you have to, if you have to pay money, you'll have to find your credit card. And so they're even making it easier to be tracked than to, um, to, to actually pay and, and, and subscribe. And, and I think we should... We should talk to customers and, and, and readers and, and, and others about how they feel about this because we shouldn't set our sort of privacy ethical compasses. We shouldn't set them to what people are doing because very often they might be doing it without thinking or they might even think, I, I really don't want to do this, but I, I need to read this article. I want to read it now. So I'm just, I, I don't trust them, but I do it anyway. And I, I think we should uncover those um, expectations as well. So basically, I think compliance should be involved in the uh, decision-making process. Um, and compliance should, when involved in, in the decision-making process, we should do at least sort of three analysis. We should challenge the business plan. We should make an investigation into the legal implications. And we should... We should also often uh, do a survey on on the demands of customers and, and, and other stakeholders. What what would they want to do? What want us to do with um, with our um, with their um, information? I can also see how we could learn so much from the way they think about it and speak about it. So we could also adjust the way we talk about privacy. Talk about. Uh, which language we use and 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 how we explain our what we're doing. Yeah, because uh, there, there's often such a disconnect between this very legal uh, text and 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 the way. Um, well, let's say uh, me, <laughs> uh, I would think about it maybe yeah. uh, and and know exactly what it is. So yeah, and of course my background is marketing. So mm. um, now it's said, you know. Um, we have another question, and I would love Anna if um, if you would uh, if you would try to um, uh, unfold this. But I'll just read what what you've said here. But do we really want to wear people down into accepting tracking? Tracking. What is the aftertaste then, and the impressions of the customers? You are basically blackmailed. Anna, could you um, put a few words on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I would say that um, you would rather try to appeal, of course, to people with something that you're offering with your content and whatever not, and first gain their trust before going further with anything like that. Or, and maybe you offer them still a choice, but you make it uh, more 
like attractive, right? Um, and not maybe at the very first hand when somebody would visit a website or, you know, um, um, try to sign up for whatever. Uh, if you just, if this is the first hit that you have, so you're just trying to read an article, right? And you're already like, oh, you need to sign up or pay for it or whatever not, or consent to this, then that's the first impression you're having from your readers, from your customers. And how does that also then develop further, you know, um, into the relationship you have with the end user? Yeah. Because for me, this is already like, I'm already like a bit, pardon my language, pissed, you know, like, <laughs> you yeah. know, I cannot even read like three words, you know, everything's blurred, whatever, this is stupid. And I don't know, I mean. You, you, I think you're making, you're making such a good, you're making such good points, uh, and it and and that's basically why I think privacy should sort of should get involved and challenge the value creation and 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 the business plans because I this is I think this is something that is sort of the domain of compliance and and privacy. A lot of business people wouldn't be thinking about what the decrease in value is if people are getting pissed, if people are using our product even though they really feel coerced into, uh, blackmailed into um, clicking the uh, free button in this uh, case. Um, if, and, and, and that's, that's so, so you really, I think you're making such a, such a great point um, about that, um, Anna. Yeah, if you don't mind me adding, because mm, sure. uh, um, I, I work uh, um, also uh, with a data security officer and whatever. And the reason I'm coming up with this is, yeah, because I work with a lot of projects and people who also have the idea, they're just going to collect the data for whatever purpose, right? Let's just have it there. Yeah. And then I say, yeah, but you're getting more that you need. Uh, and then what would you do with that? And um, also, um, I mean, firstly, it costs money to keep the data somewhere. Yeah. Um, that's that's one thing. And and then if you're collecting more than you need, um, people will become aware and they would probably ask. Cause, so I'm just coming from my point of view because I did it also multiple times. Like, for example, why do you need my date of birth yeah. for whatever I don't know, just to, to sign up, let's say, for the newsletter. So maybe for purchasing a product, you need to confirm that you're over a certain age limit, 16 or whatever, and mm. that I understand. Yeah. And this is why you usually have a checkbox or something like that. But why would you need anything more than that? And then am I willing to continue with this process if you're going to get that? So instead of just saying, no, you can't do this because that will not work, uh, especially when you're working with um, not just marketing, but also with developers and whatever not, because it's a complex team always right yeah. behind project then you try to put it in, a, in another way right um, so this is also where I'm coming from and I've talked to a lot of people you know with those perspectives yeah. and um, this is exactly and also what you mentioned in the beginning so yeah we have documentation in the end we'll fill it out and whatever not but you should also understand what's happening with what you're doing and what the effect is absolutely and this, these are these are arguments and points of view that we need to get into the process of making the decision that the right decision is actually so that the right decision is made it's super important points of view anna and that was actually the last comment for today's show
So if you do have any further questions or thoughts for us, please write them in the chat and we can see if we can take them up another time. You're always welcome to send any feedback to Jakob on LinkedIn, and I will leave a link to Jakob's LinkedIn profile in the description of the podcast as well, and also in the email, of course. And we'll send a follow-up email with what we've discussed today and the theme for the next time, which will be Wednesday at 3 CEST, um, and in the same link. And until then, have a great rest of the week. See ya.